Good morning. Before we get started in the word this morning, I just want to reiterate what Don was saying. What a beautiful presence of the Lord. And one thing I'm so thankful about the Holy Spirit, he directs the attention to the Son, to Jesus, the one who is able and capable and loving and concerned and wants to meet our needs. I'm so thankful for him. And I want to ask, as I said last week, we talked about the uh, prayer and fasting, and I know I haven't done as good a job on the fasting part as I intended to, but the prayer part, hmm. it seems that I just walk into my office and it falls like a blanket. The presence of the Lord just falls like a blanket. And I just have to spend the first amount of time just, just basking in his love. I'm so thankful for that. Does anyone have the testimony that they want to share about your time or about anything else for that matter? Um, we're, we're open to any general testimonies, but I would like to hear them if you do. No? Okay. Not a problem. Not a problem. We'll just keep going on. <laughs> you can refer back to your, your uh, handouts from last week. Uh-oh. Oh, I see. It's on a magnet. <laughs> Today we're looking at our second strategic woman in the Bible. And her name is Rahab. And you may think, what in the world are you talking about? From harlot to heroine. And that is not the drug heroine, of course. That's a female hero. I'm sure you know that. A little bit of background about Rahab. Her name, from Hebrew to English, means large, bread, vast, as in land. And I could find no other descriptions or no other meanings other than those for her name. However, in the New Testament, it is spelled differently because it's translated from the Greek to English, and it's, it's pronounced Rechab, R-A-C-H-A-B, from where we get Rachel and other names like that. There are two peculiar facts <clears throat> about Rahab that we're going to look at today. One is her career. Now, she had a rather dishonorable career, and she's referred to five times in Scripture as Rahab the harlot. Her home was built into the wall of Jericho as many homes were in that day. And many scholars agree that she ran an inn of questionable repute from that home built into the wall, as was corroborated by the nighttime traffic that constantly was going in and out of her house. But another point that I found that was written about her 
was that she was named as one of the, not in scripture, but other writings, that she was named as one of the four most beautiful women of all that time. So that would have been Rahab, Sarah, Abigail, and Esther. So we know she must have been a beautiful woman. The second peculiar fact about Rahab is her bloodline. And we're going to talk about her specific bloodline in a few minutes. But we want to talk about bloodline in general. And I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4. We read here that the sons of God, who were the fallen angels, married the, son, the daughters of men and produced giants in the land. This was a blatant attempt by Satan to try to corrupt and therefore pollute the pure bloodline from where it was prophesied that Jesus would come from. And then it would disprove the prophecy. But we know that God stopped the, the impurity of the bloodline at Noah and cleansed the earth because God said Noah was found righteous in his sight. And Genesis 6 and 9 tells us that because the wickedness had so permeated the land from Adam to the time of the giants that God felt it necessary to cleanse the bloodline. So the story of Rahab is found in the book of Joshua, chapters 2 and chapter 6. And the setting there is that Moses had died. And Joshua, who had been Moses' right-hand man all of his career, was chosen by God to be the successor to Moses and the leader of the Israel nation. So in Joshua 1 and 5, God made the same promise to Joshua as he had made to Moses. He said, There shall not be any man to stand against thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. God instructed Joshua three times in the first chapter to be strong and to be full of courage and not be dismayed by the task that was at hand. But the condition that God laid out to him was, Joshua, you must observe to do all that Moses had commanded in the law, and so you would prosper and have good success. Now, the story takes place in a town called Jericho, not... Um, not un unknown to us, and Jericho said to be the oldest city in the region, and it's also at the lowest point on earth because the Dead Sea is at the lowest point on earth, and Jericho is right next to the Red Sea. So God told Joshua to prepare the people to move forward towards Jericho, which was the gateway city to the land of Canaan, which they had to conquer in order to take possession of the promised land that God had given them. That meant they would have to cross the Jordan River. Being harvest time, I read that the river was already overflowing its banks and flooding the valley. 
So the snow waters from the mountains of Lebanon had melted and run down into the valley and filled up the river. So God gave very explicit instructions to Joshua for the journey. He said, prepare food enough for all the people before we start moving. You're to move forward by night and take, okay, take cover by day so that you won't be seen by the enemy. You're to arm the strong warrior men and put them out in the front of the people. And you're to carry the Ark of the Covenant on the shoulders of the priests. And you're to send out two spies to the house of the harlot Rahab to scout out the enemy and the land. These were God's explicit instructions. It was thought that the regular foot traffic in and out of Rahab's house would camouflage the presence of the spies and they wouldn't draw too much attention. At least that was the plan. But as we know, they were spotted and it was told to the king who demanded of Rahab to know who these men were and where she had them hidden. So from the record in the scripture alone, regardless of what else we read about her life, we see that she had many qualities that if we judged her solely by her title and her career, we would surely miss. For instance, we know that she was an astute businesswoman. She knew how to negotiate a contract. She was brave and strong. She was an excellent judge of character. She was smart and forward-thinking. She was loyal, loving, and most importantly, she already had a strong faith in God. Now you may think, are you crazy? No, let's keep going. So how do we know she possessed all of these qualities? Well, in chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, we read that Rahab knew instantly who the spies were. She judged their character. She knew who they were, what they were there for, that she could trust them, and that she had been chosen to help them. She hid the spies on her roof underneath the drying wheat and barley stalks because it was harvest time, so they were on the roof drying. And verse 8 starts, and therefore, before, excuse me, and before the spies laid down, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, mm, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. 
she made a very blatant, strong profession of faith right there in public, even knowing that certain death was imminent. She, the disdained harlot, a Gentile no less, professed her faith of, in God, the God of Israel, and she willingly used her talents to gain safety for herself and her family. She boldly and bravely negotiated a deal with the spies for her life and the lives of all of her family members, her home, and all that was hers. You can read it in the Bible. There it was agreed with the two armed spies laying on her rooftop under her stalks of wheat, hiding from her king's men that she and her whole household would be spared as long as she would tell them how to get out and escape. And she left the same scarlet cord that she put them there with in the window so that they could identify what window that they should return to and come back and carry out the Lord's orders. So when the king's men had come to Rahab to capture the visitors, she told them that, yes, she had seen them indeed, but they had left a short time ago. And if they would hurry, they could catch them if they went a certain way. And the plot worked. The king's men took off after the spies, yeah, after the spies, but lo and behold, she, I told you she was a forward-thinking person, very astute. As the time was at dusk, the custom was every day at dusk, the city gates got locked. The king's men went out, the gates came down, they could not be reopened until morning, and she let the spies out the window and told them to go up into the mountains where they would be safe. Stay there three days until the king's men had done their search and returned to Jericho empty-handed. And that's exactly what happened. Now the scarlet cord itself has many possible symbolisms. Probably too many and too deep to go into today, but I'll just name a couple of them. They actually range from just simply being an identifier by the color that Rahab's home was the type of in that it was due to the activity there. But it also had many more spiritual meanings, such as that it symbolized the application of the blood of the lamb over the doorpost when uh, the death angel passed over, or the thread of the prophecies, many prophecies from the beginning of time of Jesus' blood and the time of his birth, death, resurrection, and ascension when he carried his own blood to the Father in heaven. But what we do know for sure is that the cord meant safety and salvation for her and her household, and that it, that it served a physical purpose by which the men could return and gain access to Jericho without detection in order to accomplish God's plan. And you know the story that God was absolutely as faithful to Joshua as he had been to Moses, just as he said he would be, 
And after they crossed the Jordan on dry ground again, the people made an altar and worshiped God. And they took the city by marching around it as God had instructed six days and on the seventh day, blowing the trumpets and shouting a praise to God and the walls collapsed. And Joshua's army entered and killed every inhabitant as God had commanded them to do, except for Rahab, her family, and all within her house were safe. So even though Rahab was a Gentile, a woman of ill repute, she was full of faith in God, and he saved her out of Jericho, a doomed city. She was escorted by Joshua into the promised land, and she dwelled there. But that's not the end of the story. Because there... She married a man named Salmon. She gave birth to a man, a son named Boaz, who married a woman named Ruth, who gave birth to a man or a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David fulfilling scripture after scripture after scripture about the lineage of Christ coming from the throne of, the house of, and the lineage of David. And in the New Testament, I hope that thrills you, it surely does me. The Gospel of Matthew begins, verse 1, with this scripture. A record of the origin of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And in verses 5 and 6, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. And the lineage continues through that chapter all the way to verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Mm. Thank God for this marvelous plan, for including Rahab, who by man's standards would be the most unlikely to be chosen by God, to be adopted into the family of believers, to be successful. Yet, he played a pivotal role in the success of the nation of Israel and the continuing of the purity of the bloodline of Christ. Aren't you so thankful that our past does not matter to God? God saves even those with a past. It's why Jesus was born. And God uses those whom he trusts and who prove themselves capable and worthy of his use, even in spite of their past. God redefines those with a past for his glory. Rahab was redefined from a fallen woman to a chosen daughter, from a bad girl to a beautiful bride, 
from a mess to the mother of the kinsman redeemer, a type of Christ, from a harlot to a heroine. Rahab and all those like her with a past could have remained bound by shame, sin, hopelessness, chains, but that Jesus in her bloodline came to conquer all of that. Shame? No. Romans 8.1 says, There is now no condemnation in those in Christ. Sin? No. 1 John 1.19 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Hopelessness? No, because 1 Peter 1.3 says, we have hope in the resurrection of Christ. Chains? No, because John 8.34 says those in Christ are free indeed. I'm so thankful and I was so moved, as I said, by this study on the life of Rahab and what God did for her and how he used her for his glory. But there's more. Turn to Hebrews 11, verse 31. I couldn't believe it. I've read Hebrews many times, but this just jumped out on the page. Verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. Once again, a strategic woman honored by God in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. You know what this proves? There is no one, no one outside of God's reach. No one whom he cannot redeem, redefine, and restore. And finally, in closing, James chapter 2 and verse 5 and then verses 24 and 25. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Because as verse 17 says, faith without works is dead. In verse 25, I close with this. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. I hope I've conveyed even a small part of the impact of this story about a nobody, an, a nothing life, but the impact that she had on the world as a whole and the enormity of the grace of God for all who believe. Would you stand with me and let's pray.
Jesus. You are all that we need. You save. You satisfy. Every need supplies. Lord, I'm so thankful for this lesson in life as a whole, that we can be a nobody, that we can have a past, but your mercy, Lord, your grace, your blood covers it all and redefines and restores and renews. Thank you, Lord, for this most precious gospel message. It is the gospel of the saving power that no one is beyond your reach. No one is beyond the covering blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it and renew us today in your precious name. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.